0: You're listening to the Catholic Psyche Podcast. The Catholic Psyche Podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not intended to take the place of medical or mental health treatment, therapy, or diagnosis. You should always consult a trained mental health or medical professional for such treatment. All right. Isn't that fancy? I think it's amazing. All right. Very good. So, uh, you're listening to the Catholic Psyche Podcast. I'm Deacon Basil, and as very rarely we have guests on the podcast, but I am honored. I think I'm honored. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm honored and uh, privileged to have a uh, fellow therapist on uh, on the podcast with us. His name is David Arute, and that is he, right. I, Yep, David Arute. Okay, we had a we had a conversation before we started recording about the difference between Italian and Americanized. And <laughs> anyways, it, it, there's a special contest going on. If you can guess how to pronounce the European pronunciation of my last name. Ooh, uh, but, yeah. uh, that's
1: beautiful. <laughs> you, you might not be so honored after our time together, so we yeah, will, well, we will postpone <laughs> judgment on your honoredness after um, our time together. My
0: great honoredness. Uh, yeah, so David is a uh, licensed, okay, there's a different name in the different states. It's LCPC, so it's a licensed clinical professional counselor. Beautiful, nailed it. Yep. Wow. Okay. In De- 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 in uh, Colorado, we just call ourselves LPCs because, you know, we're trying to be uh, get everything on a business card, I think. But uh, he's a licensed clinical uh, professional counselor in the uh, in the state of Illinois, and he was with the Mancino Center. Um uh, Mon- Center. Mancio, I'm sorry. We yeah, we, you, we just started in that as well. But that's so, okay. <laughs> yeah, the Mancio Center and uh it's manciocenter.com and there's a link down into the, the description. Uh, but what I wanted to talk about today, and so we found uh, someone who is uh, working in the mental health field in general. Uh, what I want to talk about today is that, you know david on 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 uh, when the economic downturns typically happen, and right now we're kind of in the middle mm-hmm. of looking towards. You know, probably a pretty significant one. Um, when economic downturns happen, a lot of people tend to go back to graduate school. And, you know, that's that's really cool. I think that's great um, that people do that. It happened a lot in 2008, 2009 timeframe. Um, and a lot of people go back to graduate school and a lot of people want to go to go become therapists. Um, and a lot of people, I mean, I think pretty much everybody who has a vision of wanting to go to grad school to become a therapist is envisioning some kind of work within a private uh, private practice mm-hmm. environment. And at least my experience with running um a private practice is that it's not at all. I mean some of it is, but most of it is not at all with what I thought it was going yeah. to be in uh when I started graduate school
1: yes.
0: uh, so many years ago. I mean, is that was that like has it just in yeah. principle been pretty different?
1: I it's I would say it's it's like going to an amusement park and and you're in line for the roller coaster. And you've never been on the roller coaster, but you have this kind of this anticipation that it's going to be really fun. And then, Mm -hmm. and, and then you start to notice as some people are walking by you on the exit line, that some of them really enjoyed it and some of them really hated it and and (laughs) you you start questioning your expectations of the roller coaster. Like, Ooh, I Mm -hmm. wonder if I'm actually going to be the one who really loves this ride or am I going to be like a good number of people who said, I hate it. I felt sick. I never want to go on it again. It's disgusting. Um, so yeah, that's how I would describe, that's how I would describe kind of my experience of being a a therapist and being a business owner.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, that's one of the really tricky things about our industry is that you have to have a graduate level work, uh, in order to yeah. To 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 be a therapist, so the the struggle is that's usually a three year commitment, mm-hmm. and uh, at least for a graduate school, if not more, because you have to finish up a bachelor's, like yeah. like I had to. Yeah. Um, so that's you know three to six to seven years just to start. Most of the time, uh, people go and work under someone else in a pr- in a practice. So it's not like they're running out the gate starting yeah. their own private practice. So. Six, seven, eight, ten 10 years into a career, and all of a sudden you're at this pinnacle, and it's not usually what, I mean, I think most people expected it to be.
1: Yeah, you have, uh, there. You, you're standing in line, and you're thinking, oh, this is, this is gonna be quick. I'm just gonna, yep. you know, roller coasters are quick, you get on the roller coaster, and, and then you realize that, oh my gosh, this line is never going to end. You, you, go, yep. to, you go to grad school, you have, then you have to get hired. Um, then you have to get your hours and that process might take two to three years. And, and then you have to wait until you kind of feel like you have somewhat of an idea of what, you know, what you're doing as a therapist. And mm-hmm. that might take uh, five to 10 years before you kind of feel like, okay, I think I actually have my, my feet settled. So mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. After, after starting the process, a decade has gone by. Um, yeah. and, and, and that's kind of what you're signing up for as you start this process of going back to grad school. Yeah, yeah. Now we're saying all the kind of
0: negative things about yeah. it, really quick. I think I think maybe I should say that I can think of doing nothing else. I mean, this is this yep. is the and I can think of practicing in no other area aside yeah. from private practice. Yeah. Uh, yes, and, I, um, and it's wonderful. It's it's I
1: mean, it's buyer beware. This is amazing. I wouldn't do it any other way. But uh, let's. Um, Let's go in with our eyes open, and yeah. and that's what premarital uh, premarital therapy is supposed to be. Is let's go in with our eyes open. Um, sometimes in pre in uh, in marriage therapy, we uh, we're so blinded by our infatuation so, and love uh, that we really yeah, don't know. I have what we're a, getting
0: into. a friend of mine who is a a, a, a business owner, a small business owner uh, her, herself. And she was remarking to me that the highs in small business ownership are as high as you possibly can. And the lows are the lowest you possibly can. And sometimes they come in the same day. Sometimes you have an incredible client or an incredible deal that goes through or whatever else Um, in the morning. And in the afternoon, it all falls apart and or someone, I don't know, threatens a lawsuit or something and you're just freaked out.
1: Yeah. Um, there's a little bit of a, you're always kind of preparing for worst case scenario um, and uh, really enjoying when you're really having wonderful moments as a business owner.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you uh, have been a therapist for how long? How long have you been working in the industry?
1: 10 to 12, 10 years. Okay. And I, I would say I probably spent another seven years running from that. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, seven years running from it, 10 years in the field. Wonderful. And so you, you went to
0: the, it's presumably three years of graduate school um, is what most it, it people worked. do.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, I, I did go to one year of I was working full time and a full time student. And then I had all those credits transfer, and I just went to school full time yeah, for yeah. two years. So yeah, it, it did. I, I was basically three years. Right. That's typical, at least in programs in Colorado. It's about a sixty
0: credit mm-hmm. master's degree, and you know most yeah. most masters yeah. in theology yeah. or something are are, are thirty six, and uh, counseling masters is is uh, sixty credit. So it's it's a pretty significant commitment. It's about three years, um, and. Typically, it looks like at least at least in Colorado, I don't know what it is like in in Illinois, and perhaps it's changed over the years. But in Colorado, the first two years are kind of general education about how to be a therapist. This is kind of Mm -hmm. theories, techniques. Mm -hmm. And then the last year is like a practicum for a semester, and then two semesters of internship. And that's pretty, you know, where you're basically in um in the chair, as we say, working, uh, but it's usually unpaid. It's usually um, usually a pretty much full- time job, give or take, mm-hmm. um, and it's uh, working usually at a large organization like a community mental health center or a large Not private anymore. practice. Yep. yeah yep. yes and uh, and then, after that, you graduate with a master's degree and you get a candidate licensure um, yep. where you have to work under another therapist, a full therapist's licensure yeah. for usually two to three years, um, maybe, maybe a little longer, maybe a little shorter, depending on the state, um, yes. and several thousand hours of, yes. of clinical practice. Yep. And then at that point you can go and typically become a, uh, a, a private practice owner. Um, I did it a little differently. I started right out the, right out of the gate because my, my supervisor was with me the whole, you know, every step of the way, which oh, was kind yeah. of a unique experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, well, probably not the ideal um, in most cases, but you know it, it. It it's a lengthy period. So, what was that
1: kind of transition for you moving towards this private practice journey? So, uh, another thing that's I think unique to my story is that I have a very gifted, intelligent, brilliant wife who's a psychologist. Um, ah. So, part of our story is, is she
0: is she sitting behind you,
1: prodding you to say bro <laughs> no. <laughs> Actually, I'm having little cue cards beside me of things I'm supposed to say. Oh, good, good. Yes, yes. um, so when we met in grad school, uh, met in grad school, she was actually she was actually my TA um, in one of my classes. We didn't we didn't engage that much, although we we did have one class together. And here's here's the funny part of that story: it, it was sex class. So <laughs> so my wife and I met in sex class. And 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 started our dating at, at that point, um, which is really funny. Uh, but we had always had always talked about this dream of doing uh, opening up our own practice. Mm-hmm. So that was the basis, and and we first met in two thousand and seven. And she actually graduated with her master's from that program. That was the the program that I went for one year. Um and then we came up to Wheaton, the Wheaton area here in the Chicagoland. land. Um, she finished her doctorate. I finished my masters. And then both of us had our own journey of going to different places, hospitals, uh, internships. Um, we finished her pre doc. We had to move back to the Chicagoland area and we both got hired at private practices. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how we kind of came back to the Chicago land. after i've been in residential i've been in a, um, hospital settings i've been in crisis settings and we landed both working at private practice and then after three years of private practice we decided that would be the time um, that we wanted to transition to our own practice mm-hmm. um, and then so that was uh, actually just three years ago um, we're coming up on our uh, uh, actually we just came on our third year anniversary, which was March 1st. Oh, wow. Um, Congratulations. Yeah. yeah, thank you. So three years and and it was just myself. Actually, we started with just her first because we wanted to see how many of her clients, and we can get into this a little later. Um, because she came from another practice, um, all her caseload came with her because of the contract that she had at that caseload. Yep. Um, which set us up to be a little bit more successful um, right out of the gate. And we didn't know how many people were going to be coming with her. So I started April 1st because once we realized that we could get by, everybody came, that we could take the risk now with me leaving. And thanks be to God, all of my caseload came with me as well. Um, and I was about 12 to 15 miles from where I'm at now. So a, a lot of my clients made the, the 30, 45 minute drive to see me. Um, so her 20 clients came and then my 30 to 35 clients came and we started our practice out of the gate, fully busy. Um, and now there's eight of us now working, including myself and my wife. That's amazing, yeah,
0: and that's it, typically the exact opposite of how pra- private practice starts. You know, yes. we, uh, my my practice opened uh, Mount Tabor Counseling opened on uh, on the Feast of the Transfiguration in mm-hmm. two thousand sixteen. So uh, uh, August sixth, two thousand sixteen. So couple, mm-hmm. I, I, just a couple months before yours did, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. But I guarantee you, you've seen more clients uh, because the first, I mean, boy, the first. Two months, three months. It it's not it's not that I had a low caseload. It's that I had no caseload, yes. um, and it was it was you know kind of one of those lows and yeah. and, things. and you know typically it's a, a very slow kind of process to build a practice up, um, and that hasn't been your experience, which is uh, no. a unique thing. But that's phenomenal.
1: The research actually is about two years for a startup practice to get a caseload of 25 clients. Yep. So the fact that you went from zero clients, and even though, when did you have a, a say, a full caseload? I'd uh, say it was about 18 months in. Um, okay. Yeah. So, so you beat the curve, yep. um, but the normal from zero to 25 usually takes two years. And we were able to do that on basically day one, Right. which right. is really unusual. Well, and
0: and the other side to it that I think is really pretty important is that what you and I do is not just work with people all day long because, you know, you're, you're the business owner um, yeah. as, as I am. And so it's like, you know, some of the things that you were talking about is like having to move and things like that. You know, we have to read contracts for office space. We have to pay yeah. office space bills. We have, you know, at least for me, I have a lawyer on retainer and I have yeah. to talk with him once yeah. a month about, yeah. you know, stuff and, and, and concerning things that might've happened or not happened. And, uh, you know, I, I, haven't had to talk with him in several months, but you know, thank God, but, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's, it's much more than just simply the therapy. So it's really like, you're the boss first and a therapist second in private practice.
1: Yes. Um, especially, so I, I wrote down some things that might be, that might be helpful and it is going to be overwhelming to, to, if you don't have any experience with this, it's Mm -hmm. going to be overwhelming. So just a trigger warning this is, this is what, if you're thinking about being an owner, this, here's some, I have four categories and underneath each category, I have different things. So the first one is making a startup plan. Uh, the, second, the second category is implementing the plan. The third category is daily living. And the fourth category is managing. Making a startup plan. Implementing a plan, daily living, managing. Now
0: go ahead and there's there's Can a I, link down in the there, these are listed out in the description, I should
1: say. Um oh, oh you make oh perfect. Um now under the first one, now here's what I'm gonna overwhelm somebody. I have we have the purpose of your organization, the structure of the organization, the space of your organization, the branding that you need to create. The services that you're providing um, the marketing of those services, the implementation of systems and then finances that's purpose, structure space, branding services, marketing systems finances
0: okay i I mean you said people who are this might yeah. be overwhelming to people, this is overwhelming to me yeah. and i've been, I've been doing it longer than you have my goodness
1: yeah. and then we can pick a couple of these yeah so under implementing plan I have timing and cost I'm I'm in 30 minutes I'm giving all of the business stuff that I have so so this is a lot to to hear um, but I think it is kind of important information Uh, under the third one under daily living I have scheduling providing services billing collecting and ongoing marketing yeah. And under managing, I have managing self, managing the daily task, managing growth, managing crisis, uh, managing culture and community, managing marketing, managing staff, managing leadership, managing your brand, and then managing your numbers and finances. And I could use some therapy after <laughs> I, I'm exhausted. After yeah. I been exhausted, uh, and my thoughts are overwhelming. Uh, that's that's a lot of information.
0: Yeah. I, I think the real key about this, I, I'm reminded when I was first starting off um, that there was a lot there's been so much research about mm-hmm. what makes a successful private practitioner, what um, what's the predictive factors about what yeah. makes them successful or not. And what's interesting is the one thing that is the most predictive of long- term practice success. Uh, this doesn't mean that's the only thing, but the one biggest predictor is whether the uh, whether the private practitioner has had experience in business before, yes. and I think yes. that also includes private practices beforehand. Because, quite yeah. frankly, this long list of all of these things, a lot of pe- they, they don't talk about this in a graduate no. school program. No. There is no. no graduate school counseling program in private practice, and yep. this is where a lot of people sit yeah. there and think, "I've done this degree." I'm going to sit down, and all I want to do is just sit and work with people in my little office cubicle thing um, closet, um, and just that's it. And the problem with that is there are, at least in in Denver, 3,500 therapists that all pretty much look the same, all pretty much act the same, and all are pretty much of the same quality. There's some really good ones and some really bad ones on the outlier, but by and large, the curve is pretty much there. Yes. And there's nothing that's going to make you different than the four other therapists that are in the same building as you.
1: Yeah. Um so I completely agree with you. Uh, I think both my wife and myself have had different experiences. Um I was heavily involved before I became a therapist when I was running away from being a therapist uh-huh. um, from soul care. I um I worked in some pretty uh, extreme customer service situations. Um, uh, one was moving celebrities around uh, in, in ground trans- ground transportation, helicopters, jets, uh, celebrities, fortune 500 government officials um, wow. I worked in a financial planning firm. Uh, so the, the business, the, the marketing, the building relationships, I get that. And then I know how to do that pretty well. My, my wife, is um, she had an undergrad degree in business and uh, her gifting is structure and details. So when you think about what makes a good system, I'm kind of the CEO of growth and mm-hmm. marketing. And then my wife is the CEO of operations. And it's really difficult to have one person who's gifted at both of those and who is also a good therapist. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's a lot for one person to do.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. Now, it is doable. I think we should say that. And there's a lot of therapists who are on their own yeah. and it's just them. Yeah. And there's, you know, and, yeah. and that works. There can be, you can you can do this, I guess is what I'm trying yeah. to say. People but, who are thinking about it can do it. But yeah.
1: yes, my, my previous boss did all three and he was really good at it. I think what's helpful is to know what your strengths are. And if you can't do one of those things I said, then you're going to have to hire someone to fill that spot. Right.
0: Well, and and that is exactly kind of how I've operated personally. Yeah. I I think I should say is that, you know, I started off um by myself and then I had Cherie come on um probably about six months into uh the practice. Yeah. So no, I'm sorry, a year into the practice, and then I had Chris come about six months after that. So it's been kind of a slow unfolding, but you know, you can't be all things as a business owner, you or or right. as a therapist. You can't be all things, and you have yeah. to, at a certain point, outsource a lot of yeah. these kind of things. And, and I think it's just important to say that that's okay. And I think that's a maturing thing that I, as a business owner, have had to learn over the last yeah. uh, over the last couple of of years.
1: Yeah, it's um, <laughs> uh, being an ADHD guy. I'm well acquainted with not being good at a lot of things, so. <laughs> So for me, I'm like I'm good at therapy. I'm good at relationship building. I got that down. Um, and and the marketing aspect. Thankfully, my wife knows structures and systems. And and this is I think this is helpful for therapists. We just want. We're, I'm aiming for good enough therapy with my clients. Mm-hmm. Do no harm. Um, as a marketing guy, good enough marketing as a systems, as you think about the systems within your business, they need to be perfect. They need to be excellent. Systems have to be excellent. And that's where a lot of therapists who are in private practice and they don't don't hire someone to do, if they're not good at it, that's where they really get in trouble.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: That everything else is good enough, systems, billing, communication with clients about billing all of that has to be to be honest it has to be perfect and and that's really hard for those of us who are really good with emotions uh who want to feel but get overwhelmed and i'm projecting with numbers and details and paperwork and credentialing and follow through and talking to insurance companies if you go down that route yep absolutely and and that I, I think that's that's probably one of the biggest things
0: for those of people who might be uh finding our podcast talking about private practice and things like that who are already private practitioners the what it sounds like the two things that we've found um as in our own private practice experiences has been outsourcing is probably one of the best things that I've done. Um, yes. I hired an assistant um a couple of months back just to handle yeah. all of this stuff, and ironically she does so much stuff for me. But the most important thing has been, we talk once a month, uh, once a week about yeah. all the things that I'm supposed to be doing. And it holds me accountable to get those things right. done as well. So it not only does it help with the th- stuff that she's doing, but it helps with yeah. the stuff that I'm supposed to be doing. And yeah. it's, it's so important. And whether that's billing, whether that's marketing, yes. whether that's relationships, uh, whatever yes. that is, it, it it's so yeah. important to have, um, to have other people to be able to help with this burden. Um, now, one of the kind of key things that you said right at the beginning is the startup plan is the purpose. Um, yes. And I, I think all of us as therapists start out with a kind of vague idea of what we want to do and how we want to be private practice uh, in a private practice world. I think a lot of us envision ourselves as being, I don't know, some kind of uh, pseudo version of Fraser crane or um, all of the <laughs> other kinds of online therapists or uh, therapists that are out on yeah, I'm listening. <laughs> yeah, I want my life to be much more put together than his ever was in that show. But, uh, um, but I think the kind of key thing for me is yeah. when you get down to the real core of what that purpose looks like, Oh, it gets very vague very fast. And and the problem is, is you can't boil the ocean as a therapist. Yeah,
1: yep. well said. Um, At least from... For us, um, my, my ultimate goal as therapist, as human, is to be an icon of Christ. So that's, yeah. that's ultimately what I'm trying to do. Um, I'm trying to, to embody icon of Christ. And there's different ways that we can do that in different organizations. Um, my, my dream when I first started off um, was to have a practice that's actually your practice, mm. um, which is very specific. It's um, we are a, a Catholic and not only Catholic, but Eastern Catholic. And we welcome Romans, but we're primarily a, a, a Catholic therapist. And, and we minister and we sit with um, primarily people within um, all the Catholic churches. Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't uh, with our own, um, with my wife's, how she envisioned that it wasn't the same. So we have a little bit more of an ecumenical approach, um, which has been really I think really valuable to us as an organization. Yeah. Um, so go, go ahead and jump in if, if you well, want. Well, I, I,
0: I, I think most people that are listening to this podcast and mm-hmm. are thinking about going to grad school envision themselves much more in yeah. kind of my kind mm-hmm. of atmosphere. And, and it, it's funny because I think we both at times probably have a little bit, just a little bit of envy for the other person's uh, practice <laughs> Because there are times where I'm like, boy, I just want to kind of work with a secular person just to kind of break up the day. Um, it's yeah. not, let's talk about something other than spiritual OCD, also known as scrupulosity. You know, like, like, Let's talk about some other things. And, yeah. and I think there can be, uh, there's, there's such a value, I would yeah. say, um, in people seeing a Catholic from a secular, in a secular world. Um, You know, we're not all called to be explicitly ministering just to Catholics or just to um, sort of, we're not called to silo ourselves away in these little tiny world, uh, in in this kind of world, and retreat away from the larger society. We're actually called to redeem the society. Um, And in many ways, someone who is a practicing solidly um, Christian Catholic therapist Mm -hmm. working with secular people is really a, a great mission and, and
1: ministry to them. Yeah. It's, it's been interesting. So if you do go to like, my website, um, you will see that it will use spiritual language. It's not explicitly Catholic or Orthodox. Um, and, and that was purposeful. And it, it is interesting. A lot of clients who responded to that, who are not Catholic or Orthodox, mm-hmm. um, came because of that. They, they have. um, They do want to talk about spirituality, and for for a lot of uh, therapists who do not have um, a faith system, uh, sexuality is okay. Behaviors are okay. We can talk about marriage. We can talk about. But the one thing that seems um, outside of secular therapists, if I could use that terminology, is nervous about spirituality. Or if it is uh, spirituality, it's uh, Buddhism or Hinduism, it's a very specific. So I have a lot of clients who responded because they were interested in talking about, um, who is this God, who, how does, you know, who, who is Jesus, like, how does that, like my longing for transcendence, my longing for meaning and purpose has to include spirituality. and. And I don't know what to do with that. And every therapist that I've been to doesn't know how to bring it up because they're nervous about it themselves. Yeah. So that's been really, now that we've created the practice that we have, I don't know if I I could go to a practice that's different because the amount of, the amount of conversations or a lot of Catholics who have left the church and were able to talk about, um, were able to talk about uh, mental health and the lens of, I would say kind of, authentic Catholic spirituality has actually brought them back. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's been really beautiful and healing. Um, and- yeah. I,
0: I, my uh, mentor, uh, down in Colorado Springs, which for those of you outside of the city, uh, out of, outside of Colorado, it's, is a pretty significant town, so well, city, it's a city. It's actually going to be bigger than Denver in about 10 years. Um, but it's just, um, about about an hour south of Denver. And he was this incredible Catholic, solidly Catholic guy who never advertised himself as a Catholic counselor and never pushed the Catholic worldview in any way, but just by talking truth to people and people experiencing truth, which is Jesus, um, as Christ said, uh, they have come to understand and have a deeper appreciation for the faith, and um, you know. So he he was just a phenomenal instrument for uh, for evangelization. Yes. Without without explicitly being yep. that. Yep sort of in your face form of Catholicism that that we have. And quite frankly, there's a lot of people I know, a lot of people that go to our website and go, wow, these guys are like way too Catholic, and they're just going to push down faith on me, or they're going to judge me for not, you know, practicing certain aspects of the faith, which is not true. I mean, there's no reason why we would. Uh, But there's this kind of this, we're Mm -hmm. not ministering to as many people as other people in other settings would, um, like yours. And I think that's really important. And, and I think that the other side to it is that very often people look at Catholic counseling because they are, um, interested in seeing, you know, they're interested in sort of unifying what they do on Sunday with the rest of your, their lives. But to do that requires a whole heck of a lot of education and training and spirit understanding of spirituality and reading and, and all of these things that, um, are really quite challenging. And oftentimes that's not what people, like, like I've been saying, that's not what people necessarily need. And it, it's okay to be a practicing Catholic and a secular therapist. We're yes. uh, talking yeah. about spirituality in yeah. this way. And in some ways that's what people need. I'm sorry, I'm going to let you actually say something now. For time well,
1: I, I think what you said was really helpful. And, and especially if, when, when people come talk to me about uh, hey, I think I, I think I want to be a therapist. Actually, I think I, I need to be a therapist. I think I'm called to be a therapist. Um, once they start using the language, I need to be a therapist, I, I, I probably challenge them a little bit because I don't think our spirituality actually... Um, m- most of the saints, and I'm not saying what I do, uh, is I'm a priest. I'm not saying that I'm a priest. But there is... People who engage in soul care don't want... To be in soul care, um, so just if you really feel like you need to be a therapist, I would say let's explore that with a therapist before you actually start the journey of becoming a therapist, because you actually could could damage people. Yeah, and and that would be the kind of the one the one thing I'd really want to communicate for those who are exploring this potential calling of of soul care. Yeah, absolutely, and.
0: Uh, it's important to go in wide eye, eyes wide open like you said earlier and it's 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 so important to think about that but it's also important to you know there there is i, I think what we do like like you've alluded to this is a vocation um, yes. yes. and the vocational call is something that is revealed and should be revealed over time yes. um it shouldn't come just after watching an episode of frasier and be like <laughs> well i should i want to do that um or or even a which is a much better um um representation of therapy it's it's that old show from the 2000s called in treatment yeah. um you can't yeah. that that's not a good enough um reason yeah. to want to be a therapist but if it's been you know if it's been in the back of your mind and this kind of desire for this listen, for a period listen, of time listen, then
1: absolutely listen yeah there's a. Uh, I, I describe therapy in two ways one it's um people share their eucharist with me people sh- share mm. their um their broken body and their Still blood and it's holy mm-hmm. and it's honoring and another way that i, I described it if someone doesn't use that le- eucharistic language I, I would describe it as a um it's like being front row of an opera and this this character has gone through um uh, this impact of something and then there's death and sorrow and um eventually some sort of healing and hope and, and denouement, there's a sense of, um, this, this character has gone through the hue, the, the, all of the human experience and, and I get a a front, a front, uh, seat row experience to that. So yeah, there is something really beautiful and honoring. So yes, let's listen to that. Um, and let's, let's do the work of, of what we're hearing. Right.
0: Yeah. And I also think that if it's been a while, you don't have to jump right into graduate school. That's yeah. the other side to it. Yep, go go talk with a therapist about what they're doing. Go talk with a Catholic counselor, or a, uh, you know, explicitly advertised and 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 practicing as we call ourselves a theologian therapist or therapist theologians. Uh, go talk with one of them, or go talk with you know someone who is 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 like you, a practicing you know yeah. fully Catholic counselor while working in a secular uh environment or more more less less explicitly catholic environment I, I go talk with them and, and and talk about the struggles and the ups and the downs and yes. you know i i think every person who has called me or emailed me and asked can we talk about what it's like to be a therapist um i've always responded with absolutely i'd love to yes. love to chat about yep. that love to grab a cup of coffee and uh and discuss that and sometimes it's um you know, sometimes the decision has been absolute for those people, absolutely, they should go to graduate school. And yeah. sometimes there's been this process of, yeah, not, not really. Not it's yet. not not for me yeah. or not yet. Um, and I think that's all all really quite quality. Yeah. Um, boy, this has uh, been, yeah, go ahead.
1: i was I was going to say, don't don't when I was running away from being a, a therapist, um, I, I went to law school for a semester. I'm so I sorry, never, yeah, I know. I don't know what I was thinking. Um I never talked I never talked to a lawyer. Um, all I did was watch the 90s JAG show, and I thought it would be like that. I wanted to be like a lawyer in the Marine Corps. I never talked to a lawyer. I never uh, talked to a Marine JAG officer. Um, and I am in law school going, you know, I didn't talk to anybody about this decision. Right. No, no one. I just... So, yes, don't, don't do that. Um, please, you can feel free to reach out to me. Um, uh, reach out to someone who's in the field. and. Yeah do some exploring and, and you know, if you're interested, go to therapy yourself for a
0: short period. Um, you don't necessarily have to, uh, I think sometimes people go and become therapists to justify their experience of therapy themselves, which is not always <laughs> the best thing, but if you've got a good experience, uh, if it, you've had a life changing experience with, um, you know, buying a house, you might want to become a realtor. I don't think that's completely unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, I think just be careful with that and and move mm-hmm. forward. Well, unfortunately I saw the time um we should probably call it there but this has been uh spectacular. I I'm loving this whole online podcasting thing with people. It opens up so many new avenues um of this online thing. So um boy this has been such a pleasure. Um so again that's that's David Arute uh with the Mancio Moncio. with the Moncio Center. We're going to edit this back in so I don't sound like a uh, like a <laughs> um, like the dyslexic deacon therapist that I am, but, uh, the Moncio center, um, and that's in the Chicagoland area. And, um, yeah, you got a significant, um, practice there of eight therapists right now and just, um, just, just doing a wonderful job. And, uh, we will certainly have you on the podcast here again thank soon, you. um, as soon as we possibly can. So well, thank I- you so much,
1: David. I hope this is still, um, as you started off with honoring, um, I I hope we can end up with that that same vocabulary. It's been an honor for me. Thank you. Thank
0: you. And certainly there. So we'll see you guys next time on the Catholic Psyche Podcast. Take care.